This is CD number four of the messages titled Faithfulness, presented by Dr. Joseph A. Webb, president of CPR Ministries, Longwood, Florida. For more information on CPR Ministries, please visit our website at www.cprministries.org. In Ezekiel, the third chapter, God placed a very heavy thing upon those who, represents the Lord, who represent the Lord. Ezekiel, the third chapter. Will you look at that with me? Ezekiel 3, verses 18 and 19. Oh, we can do number, verse 17 also. Ezekiel 3, 17, 18, and 19. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. You notice something? Jesus himself said, I don't say anything except the Father say it, and I don't do anything except the Father tell me to do it. And God was speaking here to Ezekiel, and he said, Son, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. Let me tell you what to tell them, and then you tell them, and then you watch the power of God flow. I believe that Ezekiel had to be very careful what he said. Do you know that in the Old Testament, if a man prophesied something and it didn't come true, they were supposed to stone him to death? There wasn't a real proliferation of prophets in that day. They were very careful before they said, Thus saith the Lord, because if it wasn't God, they were in trouble. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, and spe nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. God said to Ezekiel, it doesn't make any difference whether they respond to you or not. When you say to them, wicked man, if you don't repent, you're going to die. If he dies in iniquity, you've delivered your soul. But if you see men living in wickedness and you don't warn them, he said their blood is going to be required at your hand. I don't know exactly what that means, but I'll tell you something. I don't want it to be my experience. In the book of Hebrews, it says that we should fear lest hiding this treasure in our earthen vessels, we fail to warn those who are unsaved, those wicked people, lest we hide it from them. Because if God judged the angels in the Old Testament, how much more do we need to fear because we have received light and need to declare that light? Now, I want to say that if you and I are going to be successful in our witnessing, there are some prerequisites. We've talked a little bit about it, but I think it's, it's something that you need to understand. And the first prerequisite that you and I need to have in order to be a proper witness for Jesus Christ in winning the unsaved is to have a, an assurance of our own salvation, first of all. You say, now, Brother Webb, that's awfully basic, is it? There are a lot of people, probably even some people, even in this body who have attended here for years and go back to some nebulous, nebulous uncertain experience back there where they may have gone to an altar, maybe they were baptized, but you don't see the fruit of salvation in their lives. They can talk the language, they can walk the walk, but you just don't sense the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. And consequently, you don't see them winning others to Jesus Christ. You don't see any fruit in their life because they've never been confidently assured. Oh, it, they'll say it with their mouth, but down in their own hearts, if they were to get very honest with God and knew that they were going to die ten minutes from now, they'd have to say, I'm not sure that I have repented of my sins and made Jesus Lord of my life and given Him control of my life. I'm not sure of that at all. Well, just let me say, most people around you are absolutely sure most of the time. 
if they see rebelliousness, if they see resistance, if they see uh, unyieldedness and, and, you know, just none of the attributes of a lamb in your life. They know. But, you know, I say this with, with sympathy in my heart. It's impossible for you and me to witness to someone else if we don't know that we've got it ourselves. Do you really know that you've been born again of the Spirit of God? Do you know that you have repented of your past sins and invited Christ in to become Lord of your life today? That's an absolute requirement. The second thing is to live a clean life. Would you look at 1 Timothy 4 with me? 1 Timothy 4, verses 11 and 12. Paul was speaking to Timothy here. Timothy was just a young man. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in what? Word, in conversation, in charity, in, in faith, in purity till I come. Give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. May I say something? And, and I, I don't say this to offend anyone, but I want you to know that if you and I are becoming a stumbling block to someone else around us, it's impossible for God to bless us and make us to be soul winners. He says here that you and I are to be examples. Now, by an example, what we're actually supposed to do is be able to say, now, you young people, I want you to see where I'm putting my feet, and that's where I want you to put your feet. I've never forgotten the story of the father who left home one morning and was walking through the deep snow. Now, of course, down here you don't know what that is, but up north right now they know what it is. I knew what it was in Minnesota. But he walked through the deep snow, and when he got all the way out into the middle of the street, he thought he heard some noise behind him, and as he started to turn, he heard, Daddy, Daddy, look! And he looked back, and his little son had come out of the house with him, and his, he says, Daddy, look, I'm putting my feet where you put your feet. And sure enough, this little boy was just stretching out trying to put his foot in the next spot where his dad had made his big step. And the daddy thought that was so funny, and he turned around and started to go back, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God hit him, and he thought, this is something that I had never seen before, but it's spiritually true too. Daddy, I'm putting my feet where you put your feet. And as parents, you and I have to know that we'll put our feet today where our children will put their feet tomorrow. And Paul says, you be an example to the believer in every manner of living, every area of your life. If I'm doing it, I'm saying to my child, you can do it. Bill Gothard says, whatever we do in moderation, the next generation will do in excess. And he's saying to us, you being, he's even saying to the children, you be an example to those around about you. And I think it's time for us to begin to analyze and check this out. Is there something in my life right now that I would not want in the lives of my children when they grow up? Then ask God to deliver you from it. Don't keep it there. I've actually had some fathers say down through the years of my ministry, they don't have to watch me. They can do what I say and not what I do. Forget it. You're a hypocrite. You are a hypocrite. Why is it right for you and wrong for them? You say, well, when they get older, they can do these things. Can they? Let me ask you something. What if they can't handle it like you can? Well, they're going to have to get a hold of themselves. Hey, wait a minute. If you know anything about deliverance, don't ever talk to me like that. I know parents that can handle things and their kids end up flat on their faces and they can't make it. I've seen it in my ministry. But I'll tell you something right now. I have never seen... I'm going, to get, I'm going to get specific. In my 25 years of ministry, I have never seen a smoking, a drinking, a dancing, a, a, a gambling. Uh, well, I'll stop there first of all and say I've never seen anyone that does those things socially who have ever been successful soul winners. Now, if you know of someone, you bring them to me, will you? 
I have never seen them as successful soul winners. And some people say, well, I can do those things. Nobody's going to put me into bondage. Forget the bondage. I'm just saying you're going to be fruitless. And if it's more important for you and me to do those things than to win souls for Christ, then we've got our perspective all out of warp. I've never seen a person with a censorious tongue, with a bitter spirit, with selfishness in their life. I could go on and name all the rest. I just named the first ones because they're outward things that the world looks for today. I don't have to look for them. You go to any place where people are unsaved and you do any of those things that I just named at the first, and they'll say, and you call yourself a Christian? You see, your first responsibility is to your family, but then it's to those outside. And I'll say it again, if you and I don't have a clean life before Jesus Christ in a consistent basis, we'll never be successful soul winners because the world is looking for that first sign of a weakness in your life. It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And if you and I, this is an area where faithfulness is absolutely necessary. Are, are you and I doing something today in our lives that we don't want our children to do? That we don't want the young people in the church to see us do? Then begin to get on your face and cry out to God and ask Him to set you free from it. Don't ever say it's none of their business, I'll do what I want to do, because Paul says if you do that, you don't understand the love of Christ. He said even if it's right for you to do it, it doesn't bother your conscience, it doesn't bother God's conscience, it doesn't hurt anyone else that, I mean, other people think it's all right. But if you, in doing so, know that it's going to cause anyone that's weaker than you to stumble and fall somewhere along the road, he said if it's eating meat or drinking wine or any other thing, don't do it for the love of Christ's sake. It's not worth, as, Paul, as the Phillips translation says, it's not worth a soul for a chunk of meat. Now I'm talking about if we're going to be faithful, consistent, fruitful soul winners for Jesus Christ. You cannot do it. I've never seen that happen in the life of a believer yet, seen them to be fruitful with these things in their lives. It's important that we have a clean life. Just look quickly over at uh, Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52. Maybe, you can, maybe we can make this our theme verse. The last part of Isaiah 52, verse 11. Depart ye, depart ye, go ye out from thence, touch no unclean thing, go ye out of the midst of her, be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. You see that? Pastor Webb isn't saying that. God's Word says that if you are going to bear sacred things in your life, be clean. It is essential that you and I be clean. It's already passed, so I, I have four other things, four other prerequisites here for successful witnessing that I want to share with you tonight. And uh, then beyond that, I've got a conclusion. But... I'm saying that if Jody were still just like April now, she would not be where she ought to be. And I'm saying that where we are, we are what we ought to be before God. But when God says, move on, and the cloud and the pillar of fire begins to move, we need to be ready to move also. And I believe God's saying, let's go on. It isn't enough just to have what we have. Let's go on. I've got greater things. May God grant us to have the vision to realize that we haven't got it all. In fact, we've hardly got it at all. We need so much more. Praise the Lord. John, the 15th chapter. John, chapter 15. I said this morning the prerequisites for successful witnessing was, first of all, to be sure of your own salvation. Secondly, live a clean life. Thirdly, yield your life to the direction and power of the Holy Spirit. Yield your life to the direction and power of the Holy Spirit. In John, the 15th chapter, Jesus causes us to see that all strength and all life for the believer is based upon our relationship to him. John 15, verse 1, I am the vine, my father is the husbandman. 
Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch, what? Cannot, what? As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it, what? Listen to that sentence again. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. For I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you cannot do very much. For without me ye can do what? Are we dependent upon the Lord for everything that we do? I talked this morning about the fact that we needed to have a clean life. And the Lord wants to use a clean life. But the other thing is that with that life being clean through obedience to the, to, to the Lord, the next thing is to begin to know that if there is any power that's going to flow through us, it must be of the Lord himself. I am the vine, ye are the branches. Now, I've asked this years ago uh, when I was preaching on that particular subject, if you've ever seen grapes growing on a vine. Now, some people come from, vine, from grape country, vineyard country. And I'm sure that if you'll stop and think about it, you'll realize that you'll never see grapes grow on a vine. How many of you know grapes don't grow on a vine? Huh? That's right. Grapes grow on branches, don't they? And the branches have to be tied into the vine or they won't bear grapes, right? The vine does not bear the grapes. The branches bear the grapes. And they bear grapes to the extent that they are connected to the vine. Jesus said, I have all the forces of life flowing through me, and if you're in me and I am in you, you will bear fruit. He goes on to say, you'll not only bear fruit, you'll bear much fruit. Not only will you bear much fruit, but you'll bear much fruit that remains. If ye abide in me. Now, we've talked tonight several times. It's come up. And let me tell you something. This pastor goes through dry, 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 dry times. My family can tell you. Sometimes I almost say to my family, get a club and drive me into the study, will you please? I don't want to go into the study. I don't feel like studying. I don't feel like reading. I don't feel like praying. Pretty soon I just know that I've got to get into that study. I go through dry times. And those are the times I realize I've got to get back and abide. I've got to abide. I've got to just renew that, that flow between the Lord and me. Because if I get up here, I can talk all I want to, but if the Spirit of God does not work through what I say, I might as well stay home and stay in bed. I heard of the woman, the wife one day, the husband said to her, I'm not going to church today. She says, honey, come on now. You've got to go to church. No, I'm not going to church today. Well, don't be like this. Now, look, you can't be like this. The, the children are going to expect you to go to church. You're 40-some years of age now. You're supposed to have the responsibility of a family. You've just got to go to church. No, I'm not going to go to church now. What can I say? Other people are going to be disappointed if you're not at church. You've got to go to church. After all, you are the pastor. There are times when you feel like that. And that's a time when you realize you've got to abide in the vine again. Look back one chapter in John, the 14th chapter, beginning with verse uh, John 14, 26. He begins to talk about the purpose of and the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was saying, I've got to go away and I'm going to send a comforter. And I'm saying that if you and I are going to be successful in our witnessing, we need to learn how to yield to the Holy Spirit, our lives to the Holy Spirit for direction, for instruction, for correction. 1426, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, 
He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, I know there's some people that say, well, I don't want any man teaching me. I'll be taught of the Holy Ghost. That's some, in some ways, that's spiritual pride. Because as you read the scriptures, it tells us in Timothy that we are to teach men, who, faithful men, who will teach other faithful men, who will teach other faithful men. But there comes a time when you and I are Christians, when different teachings come to us and we get acquainted with the Word of God, the Holy Spirit will begin to quicken our hearts when we hear truth. And a little red flag will go up when we hear something that isn't in line with God's Word. And that's what I think he's talking about, a sensitivity to truth and lie. The Spirit of God will teach us all things. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And it's only as you and I yield day by day, first of all, as I said, get into the Word of God and love the Word of God and fellowship with God's people. The more you do it, the more you hear the Word of God being preached, the more you're taught the Word of God. You'll begin to find that there comes a discerning. And you say, now, I don't know why, but something tells me that that just isn't, isn't exactly right. Something tells me. And I keep saying, why do you keep calling him something? He isn't something. It's the Holy Spirit. He's trying to check your spirit so you don't just open your mouth and swallow everything you hear. And he says he will teach you if you'll yield and if you'll listen. If you'll listen. Like I said, last Wednesday night, I... Heard it? And I thought, yeah, but just in case, you know, they might not be listening. They might not know what they're supposed to do. They might sit on it, you know. And so, Lord, I'll just take my notes along just in case. And the Lord said, no, you're not going to be preaching tonight. John 16, verses 13 and 14. How be it when he, not something, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself. Now let me say this again. This is one thing that's concerned me. All the emphasis on the Holy Spirit when we come into the charismatic and Pentecostal movement. The Holy Spirit does not speak of himself. The Holy Spirit speaks of Jesus. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify... What? He shall glorify me, Jesus said, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, he doesn't speak to you until, first of all, the Lord Jesus says, Holy Spirit, tell them this. Holy Spirit, show them this. You know, if God doesn't take the scales off of our eyes, we cannot see. If he doesn't pull the wax out of our ears, we do not hear. And that's why Jesus says over and over again, let him that hath ears to hear... Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus speaks through the Holy Spirit to the church. And if we'll listen, he'll speak to us. Now, I'm not talking about some big audible voice. You know that. When God comes and speaks to you, you'll find out that it's the same, same level or volume of voice as you get when you're tempted to do wrong. When you're sitting somewhere and all of a sudden a bad picture goes through your mind, a bad imagination, some filthy thought or some bad feeling towards someone goes through it and, and something says to you, boy, do you remember what that person did to you? Now, they don't, it doesn't come to you and say, boy, do you remember? It is a little voice in there says, boy, do you remember what that person did to you? Yeah, I sure do. You remember how they missed you? Boy, do I ever remember you. And you begin to talk with that voice, don't you? You just respond. Oh. 
My husband left this morning and didn't kiss me and didn't leave a tip for making breakfast for him. Even. Did you notice he didn't even leave you a tip? Yeah, he didn't leave me a tip. See, that real little quiet voice, and before long you just got a conversation going, don't you? Back and forth. Now, you've gotten sensitive to hearing that voice down through your life. You have tuned in to that voice. You know what I mean when I talk about tuned in. When our kids were babies, they could cry, I didn't hear. Mama always heard it. Just out of bed she went, you know. Tuned in to that voice. All right? My kids, when they were out in the neighborhood, they didn't tune in to anybody else's whistle. Guys could whistle their heads off. But when I went outside and I gave this certain whistle, their ears went up and down the street they came home. See? Their ears were tuned to that. Now, I'm just simply saying that there comes a place where God wants to teach us to tune our ears to hear His voice. When something comes into your mind and it says, Boy, do you remember what they did to you? There's another voice that can immediately come up if you'll get sensitive to it that'll say, But we're to forgive even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. I just re renounce that in the name of Jesus. I don't let that into my mind. Whatsoever things are true and honest and just and pure and holy and of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, that's what I'm going to think on. Get out of here. I don't want to listen to you anymore. Oh, yeah, but don't you remember what they did to you? Yes, but they've been forgiven in the name of Jesus. You see, and you'll get that conversation going. You're going to think, boy, it, it, they, they say you're crazy if you talk to yourself. No, it's just if you answer yourself too well. That's when you're supposed to be crazy. But you, you begin to recognize that voice. The Holy Spirit will come and begin to teach you what you ought to do. Now, you don't have to respond to the Holy Spirit. See, I do not believe that you become a puppet on a string. Just as you don't have to respond to Satan. He'll come to you and say, you need to paste that one, just a good one. Just, just, just learn them one good, you know, just catch them right under the chin just once. It's all it'll take. And you don't have to do it, but here's your arm going, boy, would I like to, oh, oh, man, would I like to. You see, and you respond to that little voice telling you what you ought to do. Whatever it might be. Or, you know, there's nobody in the rearview mirror, nobody on the side that I can see. It isn't going to hurt five, ten miles more. Mm, uh, Lord, you know my heart. You know, down the, down the road you go, 10, 15, 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. You listen to that voice and you agree with it and you respond to it. You don't have to which is evidenced by the fact when that little two-tone car with a blue light on top pulls up from behind, I mean, it pulls out off the side road, whew, so easy to go the right speed limit. Just to say, you didn't have to respond. You didn't, he didn't force you to speed, but you learned to respond to that voice. And if you and I are going to be successful in witnessing, the Holy Spirit will lead us to people to whom we should witness. How can I give you examples of others? The only person I really have lived with is myself. Other, I mean, that personally. But I've had times in my life when I have been walking along, wanting to do something else, heading for something that was important, and just suddenly he's been stopped. And the Holy Spirit would say, that person coming down the street, and I mean in this one case, two blocks down the street, just getting dark, the street lights had just come on, I see this figure walking toward me down the street, and I was supposed to be in the dormitory in five minutes, to get my girlfriend in the dormitory in five minutes, and it was a block away. And if you can imagine, it was so strong, he said, witness to that person. I thought, somebody's got to be kidding me. I, Lord, you know I've got to be in five minutes. Witness to that person coming down the street. He didn't scream it. I just knew that I, was, I didn't have to. I could have gone up those three or four steps, walked across the campus, gotten into the dormitory. I had to turn to this girl, and she didn't understand what was going on. I said, hey, 
I know you don't understand what's going on, but I, I feel that the Lord just now impressed me that I'm supposed to witness to this person. She looked down and she, what person? I said, that one coming down. Who is it? I said, I don't know. Well, we're supposed to be in in about four minutes now. I said, I, I know that. But I feel like I'm supposed to witness to that person right there. Well, what are we going to do about getting it? I said, would you go ahead? I'll watch you all the way to the dormitory. Will you go? I, I just, I've got to stay here. I don't believe this. I said, well, what do I do? I just sense in my spirit I'm supposed to witness that. And the person was getting closer. I could tell, first of all, that it was a boy. I thought, is at least it was, a, it was a young fella. So, you know, a lot of times, some people, some fellas, feel that the only one God ever leads them to are some pretty girls to witness to. You ever run into that kind? Always have a personal ministry with pretty girls. I, I'm concerned when I see that. God never leads them to witness to boys. You ever run into that? I've seen it. Well, she went ahead looking back like, boy, what in the world am I doing with that, you know? So I watched her all the way in the dormitory. And about this time, the fellow got within two streetlights of me, and I just began to pray. Now, Lord, I don't know what you want me to say to him. What, what? I mean, here I'm standing in the middle of, of St. Paul, Minnesota, in the Midway District, which isn't the highest class district in the world. And uh, I'm supposed to stop that young fellow and talk to him. I thought, well, the first thing I better do is meet him under a streetlight so he'll be able to at least see who I am. It was getting darker now. So I pulled out a gospel tract, which I just happened to have because I'd asked the Lord to help me to witness. And I pulled out a gospel tract, and I started walking toward him, and I met him right under the streetlight. And as he's walking along, his head was down, he had his hands in his pocket. And I said, hi, young fellow, how are you? Okay. I said, you don't look very happy. Didn't know what else to say. You didn't look happy. I didn't say, you know, I didn't have the four spiritual laws all written and memorized right there. You, know, you don't look very happy. Well, I said, here, I've got some very good news for you. Would you, would you just receive this from me? It's some news that really made a change in my life. He said, what is it? He looked at it. He said, I don't want to read it. I said, why don't you want to read it? And he began to cry. God had prepared his heart. He said, I don't want to read it, but he says, because God killed my mom and took her away from me. I said, God didn't kill your mama. Let's talk about it. And for the next 30 minutes, I stood there with this young fellow sobbing before the Lord, just sobbing. And finally, he said he recognized that God didn't kill his mama, but God loved him, and God allowed me to have to stop there on that street and wait for him to come two blocks to meet him there under a lamppost. And we walked up into the men's dormitory, and there he knelt down and invited Jesus Christ into his heart. Now, let me say again, God impressed my heart to witness to him. I didn't have to do it. I didn't have to be obedient. But when I think of the possibility that his blood could have been on my hands, I was concerned. And when I was obedient, I imagine we passed 20 people on the street before I got there to go in, and God didn't tell me to witness to any of them. But all the time while I was there in college, I was saying, Lord, please give me opportunities to witness to people, the ones you want me to witness to. And so I would thumb a ride to work in order that I might get picked up to witness to somebody. Or I'd get on a bus and sit down next to someone and say, man, let me give you some fantastic news that I, that I received that really made a difference in my life. It, just anything I could say. And there were times when I sat next to people and I'd say, no, Lord, let me witness to them. Nothing. Now, I didn't go away feeling like, boy, I really blew it there. When I have gone ahead and said, here, and start talking to them, I just found out that it was just, I might as well just try to heat my food with ice. You can't do it. 
But when we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, He'll guide you into all truth. He will reveal Jesus Christ. He will speak to you when the Lord speaks to Him, tells Him what to tell you. Now that's not so unusual. Jesus said, I don't say anything except the Father tells me. Now you think about it. God the Father says to the Son, the Son says to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit says to you, that comes from a pretty good source, wouldn't you say? Can't get from better, much better source than that that I can think of. He says, now do this or do that. Now if we aren't tuned in, if we aren't sensitive, if we haven't asked the Lord to put a, 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 a sentry before our minds not to receive the wrong thoughts, but to be sensitive to the voice and leading of the Holy Spirit, we're going to miss it. Now, you and I can pray until we're blue in the face, even pray in the Spirit. I believe with all my heart that I char my batteries get charged up when I pray in the Spirit. If you ever see me on the freeway, you probably won't even, I probably won't see you, because most time when I'm on the freeway, I'm riding down a different road totally. I, I'm just talking to the Lord all the way. Just I don't know what I'm saying most of the time. I'm praying with my Spirit. And when I'm out working in the yard many times, I'm praying with my Spirit. Now, that charges me up, and I, I want to be. That helps me to be more sensitive. What I'm saying, beyond that, after we're through with all that praying, we need to walk in the fullness of the Spirit of God, saying, Lord, make me sensitive, just even more sensitive to your voice and your leading than I've been to the enemy all my life. We hear what we want to hear. Remember the illustration I gave you of the naturalist and of the financier? They were walking down the streets of New York City. And as they were walking along with all the traffic signals and sounds and horns and vehicles driving and people talking, as they were talking together, one, they both stopped, one of them stopped and said, the naturalist said, did you hear that? He said, hear what? He said, listen. He said, listen in this roar? He said, yeah. He said, I just heard a cricket. Didn't you hear that cricket? A cricket? He said, no, I didn't hear a cricket. Yeah, it's around here. So, there, look, look. See right back there? There's a cricket there. Big deal. Cricket. Now that naturalist's ear was tuned to that cricket. They walked on a little bit, and pretty soon the other one stopped and said, wait, did you hear that? What? He said, I just heard a coin hit the floor, sidewalk. Didn't you hear that? Every one of them had their ear tuned to what they wanted to hear. And God is saying, tune your ear into... Station H-O-L-Y-S-P-I-R-I-T, the Holy Spirit. And He will teach you, and He will guide you, and He'll lead you into all truth. He'll show you His purpose for your life. But you've got to be still and listen to Him. Be sensitive to Him. Now, you can develop that during your prayer time. Begin to ask the Lord to impress you about things. Talk to Him about something. Then, Lord, now, just impress on my heart. Now, again, He's not going to scream at you. You'll just get an, an impression. Don't jump on that impression. Write it down. And then wait on the Lord. Come back again. Say, now, Lord, I'm really trying to hear. Will you, will you just tell me what, what I'm supposed to sense about this again? Write it down again. And see if you get a consistency. To then see if things begin to work out in that direction. And you develop an ear to hear the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to know something. I developed an ear to hear Satan when I was a, a young man. And it took years of renewing my mind to get rid of listening to that voice. And if you and I will spend time with the Holy Spirit, spend time with the Lord in prayer, the Holy Spirit will begin to cause us to recognize His voice more and more. When Beverly and I were ministering the other day in our home, I said, Holy Spirit, I don't want to say anything and I don't want to do anything until you tell me to do it. And I don't want to say one word that you would not have me to say. I want to be very careful. 
And I thank the Lord. He is faithful. He does help us when we really depend on Him for that. And if we're going to successfully witness, when I say successfully witness, I mean see fruit through our witnessing. See a response born through our witnessing. It's only going to come as we're sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He will guide us into all truth, yielding our life to the control of the Holy Spirit. Then, number four, to be successful, we have to understand what it means to really be born again of the Spirit of God. There are many people going around today making converts but not getting people genuinely saved in the light of God's Word. And that is, first and foremost, that a person must repent in order to be saved. Now, I know that in many of the one, two, three, four laws that they have out today, I have read them through, and all it produces is believism. I'm not against them, but I think we need to add to them. The Word of God says that a man or a woman must repent of their sins before they can be born again of the Spirit of God. Look at Acts 17.30 with me. Acts 17.30. It's interesting today how many, many times people will say, well, I think God's dealing differently with this particular person. Oh, they haven't repented of their sins. Well, uh, they're sorry for their sins. No, I'm talking about repentance, turning away from and having abhorrence for and forsaking that sin. Well, yes, but, uh, well, I know I've looked at this person and I've listened to this person. I know they've got to be Christians. Have they repented of their sins? Well, I, like I say, God doesn't say it. He says there can be a sorrow for sin, but that does not mean salvation until we repent of our past sins, which means to have an abhorrence for, to turn away from, to forsake, and turn to Christ for the forgiveness of sins and to yield our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Acts 17.30 says, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to, what, be saved? Repent. Let me read it again now for you out of the Amplified Bible. Such former ages of ignorance, God, it is true, ignored and allowed to pass unnoticed. But now he charges all people everywhere to repent. That is, to change their mind for the better and heartily to amend their ways with abhorrence for their past sins. The message of the New Testament is not just believe. Turn over to Acts 20, 21. Acts 20, 21, Paul is speaking of the ministry to which Christ had called him, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and what? Faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Step one, repentance. Step two, faith. For a person to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do not forget that aspect of it. The reason I am so emphatic about that is found in 1 Corinthians the sixth chapter. First Corinthians, the sixth chapter. Paul warns the Corinthians against easy believism. The church had much carnality in it, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now he says, if you see in the life of any individual this type of sin that has not been repented of and turned away from and forsaken, don't be deceived no matter what they say or what you see or what you hear or what they're doing, they're not saved if they've not repented of these things. 
I've given the illustration before of a man who was an alcoholic, who would come to the church drunk, sit in the services totally inebriated. And when you'd walk up to him afterwards and begin to talk to him, oh, 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 wait a minute, I am a Christian. I said, a Christian? The Word says that the drunkard shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, but Brother Webb, when I was driving a truck one time, I saw this bright light in this vision. As it came down in front of me, all of a sudden it was all over me, and I, I knew right then that I became a Christian. I said, sir, the Bible doesn't say that when a bright light comes down all over you and covers you completely that you're a Christian. Oh, but ever since that day, I've been a Christian. How do you know you're a Christian? Because of that bright light. I said, the Word of God says you have to repent and trust Christ as your Lord. Yes, but, but I, I'm a Christian, Brother Webb. Couldn't convince him otherwise. There are some people that go right on drinking, go right on lying, go right on stealing, go right on in immorality have never repented of it. And Paul said, now don't be deceived about this. They shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The book of Galatians says the same thing. If they have not turned from, forsaken, and left that sin. So when you talk to someone about being saved, if they're being convicted of the Holy Spirit, and you know these things are in their lives, turn to that verse and say, if this is true in your life, you need to repent of this and turn away from it. Confess it as God confesses it. That's sin. I want nothing more to do with that. I want to be free from my sins. I turn from it and I trust Christ as my Lord and Savior. We're going to get a church filled with unrepentant, unregenerated people if we fail to see that truth in God's Word. I think that that's what happened when the children of Israel went into the promised land. They called a, a Baptist Ways and Means Commission committee together and they went in and checked out the land. You know, Baptist Ways and Means Committee is usually made up of eight uh, carnal, unregenerate people and two saved people. And when the report comes back, you know what gets done. Eight of them get mad and two of them get stoned. And that's what happens in many churches today. They're filled with people who have believed and said they were sorry but have never repented of their sins. And Paul says, now don't be deceived on that matter. You have to repent of your sins and trust in Christ as Lord and Master in order to have true salvation. Next, very quickly, you must be a man of prayer. A man or a woman of prayer. I believe that this is one of the things that God is showing me that we as a body are going to have to come to and face up to that if we're going to see fruit in the days ahead, we not only must be led by the Holy Spirit, but we're going to have to pray. Be men and women of prayer. When we pray, I believe God will move and do things that we didn't dream possible. And I know, we gather together here and we join hands and we pray and we see results. But I'm talking about where we become men and women of prayer. Last night, I had the opportunity to go back in our bedroom and lie down on the bed and begin to read. And God just laid a burden on my heart and I began to pray and pray and pray. And then when I awakened early this morning, I was going to get out of bed early this morning. I didn't do it. I just rolled over my stomach and I began to cry out to God again for this message this morning. And I'm beginning to realize more and more that if we're going to see the power and the anointing of God on this ministry and on this body of people, it's only going to happen by prayer. I'm talking about intercessory prayer. I'm talking about a crying out to God where we become broken before God and say, God, if you don't bless us, I'll not let you go like Jacob did. Would you look with me at Psalm 126? Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. 
It's a promise for those that would pray. Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. First of all, we have to be willing to go. Second of all, we have to be have our hearts broken over lost and dying people. See men and women as lost souls. And he says, if we'll go weeping with a broken heart, concerned, we'll see the fruit come forth. We'll surely, doubtless, without doubt, come again with rejoicing, bringing our sheaves with us. And then we must learn the Scriptures. Hide the Scriptures away in your heart. If you're going to be successful in witnessing, get some key verses, these little booklets of uh, verses that you can learn, these little packets. Memorize them. Not so that you can quote them like a parrot, but so that the Holy Spirit can bring them back to your remembrance at the time that you need to speak them out. Get the Word of God down in your heart if you're going to be successful. I had no idea I was going to preach this long tonight. I'm going to finish next week, next Sunday morning. Next Sunday morning, we're going to talk about what God says to the unfaithful and God's response to the faithful. May I just ask you tonight, if these things be so in your life, are you yielded to the control of the Holy Spirit? Are we men and women of prayer? Are we hiding the Word of God away in our hearts? If we are, we will see fruit. If we aren't, we won't see fruit. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, without his presence, without his Holy Spirit, without his guidance, we can do nothing. I don't care how talented you and I may be, if we're not filled with and directed by the Holy Spirit, we won't see the fruit that God wants to see. Now, I want you to know there are a lot of people out there doing it without that power in their life. But they're just like an apple tree or an orange tree standing out in the grove grunting and groaning trying to produce an orange or an apple. I've never heard that, but can you imagine a tree? If you've ever driven in my driveway and see that big old navel orange tree there by the side of the driveway, can you imagine driving by that sometime hearing that tree going... You see, fruit is just the manifestation of an overabundance of life. If you don't feed that tree, you get little puny oranges and fewer oranges. But if you prune, I mean, take care of that tree and feed that tree, those oranges just come as naturally as they possibly can. And I see a lot of people out beating on every door, knocking down every door, grabbing people, putting them up against the wall, and saying, you're going to go to hell if you don't get saved. That's grunting to me. I think when we're led by the Holy Spirit, as we're going into all the world, the Lord will lead and direct our paths to men and women that tell them that they need to be born again of God's Spirit and know that their sins are washed away. Father, we thank you this morning for the Word, and we want to just stop and say that except the Spirit of God quicken the Word to our hearts that we cannot receive. And so we ask this morning that the Spirit of God would come and remove from our ears those things that would block us from hearing spiritual truth, those things that keep us from being absolutely open and honest and in agreement with the Word of God. 
Father, I ask this morning that every one of our hearts will cry out to you and ask you to bind the strong man over us and not allow the enemy to have victory in any area of our lives, but that we will be able to be everything you want us to be every moment of every day for the glory of God, that we will be able to declare because of the Lord God in my life, I have come into a position of faithfulness to him. Father, give us a longing and a hunger to be faithful to you. We thank you that you were faithful to us, that you became obedient unto death, Lord Jesus, even the death of the cross. And, Father, that you were faithful in sending your Son for us. And, Lord Jesus, that you were faithful in sending the Holy Spirit to us. And the Holy Spirit was faithful in teaching us and bringing all things to our remembrance and making Jesus Christ real in our hearts. Now let us be faithful to you. We thank you, Father, that the word is given to us that we can understand what it means to walk in obedience to you. And you said to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. And we don't want to sin. We want to walk in obedience to you and be faithful to you every day. And we just ask right now the Spirit of God would minister this truth to our hearts and then encourage us by telling us that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world and he that hath begun a good work in us will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Cause us to have that overcoming faith this morning, to be faithful in Jesus' name we ask and for his sake. Amen. Seems like the Lord keeps asking or sharing with me things that I need to share with you on the subject of faithfulness. We've been talking about the fact that God is, God is faithful. Jesus was faithful. The Holy Spirit is faithful. And if, if it's like Father, like Son... And by the way, I hope you ladies aren't offended when the Word of God says, Now, that now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. It's not being sexist in its presentation at all. Actually, the, the Greek implication is that we have received a, an elder son's portion. If the elder son in the Jewish if there were, you were the elder son in the Jewish family, you received a double portion of blessing from the father. You got the best. And what he's actually saying here is that you and I have received God's very best, sons and daughters. You're all placed in the position of first sonship. But if we are like father, like son, then there should be manifested in our lives a faithfulness in every area of our life. Now, you say, Brother Webb, that's almost impossible. No, it isn't impossible. It's just very difficult. It takes time. And God doesn't just, you know, destroy us when we're not faithful. He works with us gently and very patiently. But he says that he'll take us as far as we're willing to let him take us. And he will not try to force himself upon us. He's a gentleman. But he desires that we will submit to him because he said, If you'll submit to me, I am come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I didn't come to cut you off and make you miserable. I came to make you happy. The devil almost destroyed my life when I was still a teenager. I was told by the doctor I'd be dead at the age of 22. Now, Jesus didn't come to destroy me. He came to give me life and give it to me abundantly. And that's why I'm thankful that when I say that if we're faithful to the Lord, He will bless us. Now, that blessing may not come in a month, may not come in a year, but it will come. And if we're unfaithful, let me assure you that corruption will come, maybe not in a week, maybe not in a month, maybe not in a year, but it will come. He that soweth to the Spirit shall reap life and joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. He that soweth to the flesh shall reap corruption. 
And it will come. And so the Lord says, if you'll decide what kind of a garden you want to plant, and you'll be faithful to me, I'll promise you joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. The areas that we talked about last week was, uh, were of faithfulness, that God expects faithfulness. He says it's required of a steward that he be found faithful. Uh, I want you to know that God doesn't say that this is a suggestion, this is an option. He said, if you're really my steward, it is required that you be found faithful. Now, you know, I can say that, and immediately I, I, people could say, well, that's expected of pastors. I want to make it very clear to you that the Word says... If you and I have committed our lives to Jesus Christ, God expects us, He requires us to be faithful. Now, let me, let me stop a minute and tell you again, there are degrees of faithfulness. When Jody and Jeffrey were little babies, I expected a certain degree of faithfulness. If I told them to put something away at such and such an age, I knew from time to time they'd forget and I'd say, uh-uh, put that away. If I told them, don't go here or don't go there, and they'd forget, when they got a little bit older, I'd say, whoops, that doesn't work anymore. And I'd have to punish them for it. There were degrees. I expected a little more all the time from them. Now, the same thing is true as believers. God will play along with you as a little child for a while. But after a while, he'll say, that is the end of the rope. Now we're going to go into a new phase. How many of you know that God's dealing with you differently today than he did when you first became a Christian? If he isn't, you're in deep yogurt. <laughs> Because it means that you haven't matured at all. And he's saying it's time for maturity. But I require, to your degree of understanding of God's word, and I require faithfulness on your part. It's required. Now, when, again, uh, every one of these requirements that God puts on us, it's for our good. All right? He said, first of all, we are to be faithful to God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and love thy neighbors thyself. Jesus said, if any man come to me and hates not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brothers and his sisters and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whosoever is not willing to take up his cross daily and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, when Jesus got through preaching all these things, about two chapters later, it said that those that heard his word were exceedingly and abundantly flattened out. It just knocked them off their pins. You've got to be kidding. Is that what you're requiring? Now, I know, again, today that you don't hear a lot of this in the sloppy agape preaching that's going around. But I want you to know God's standard has not changed. He said it is required of a steward, one who professes to be a steward of God, it's required that they be found faithful. The next one is faithful to the Word of God. Now, I don't care whether you like me or not. If I upset you, I'm sorry. But you better like the Word. Now, if the Word stirs you up, then you better change. I've had a lot of people go out of this building mad at me. And I said, well, they'll have to get over and get under it. <laughs> if I've offended them, I don't want to offend anyone. I really don't. God knows, and my wife knows, I'm not a fighter. I'm a, I'm a lover. I'm, I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. I, I don't like fights. But I will fight if I have to over the Word of God. It doesn't make any difference what I think or what you think. If it's written in here and it's clear and it's consistent, look out. I'm not going to move because I'm dedicated and committed to one thing, that this word has been exalted above his name, and it's forever settled in the heavens. And it's by the word of God that you and I are going to be judged. And when we get to heaven, we, we're not, it's, not, it's going to be a little bit too late to say, but I thought 
well, I just realized that you surely couldn't have meant that. Uh, well, I didn't understand it that way. That isn't the way it's going to work. He says, study to show yourselves approved unto God, workmen that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, hiding it away in your heart. It's required of a steward to be found faithful in the area of the word of God also. Third, you're to be faithful to Christ's body. Now, I haven't, I, I'm not criticizing the individual. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not criticizing the individual. There are some beautiful, wonderful individuals involved in secret lodges and organizations. But I do not believe that secret lodges and organizations are places for born-again believers to be. Hello. Are you with me? Anytime I make a covenant relationship with someone else that's in a secret lodge who is not a Christian, I am in sin. I'm in error. I'm in disobedience to God's word. I am not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I've seen some people come around in churches and wave this big ring and tell me that they've got a certain handshake. And I want to tell you something. The roots of that is from the Eastern religions and its, its background is in the occult. And if you're a Christian, you, you should not be involved in it. Now go ahead and get mad at me if you want to. But I'm just going to be very, very honest with that. That's no place... For you as a Christian to make a covenant agreement with unbelievers. Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. But the word of God says that we are to be in love with one another. Committed to one another. Supportive of one another. To the very end. To give our life for a brother or a sister. So I believe very definitely that we're to be totally committed to the body of Christ. Encouraging and lifting up one another. And loving one another. This is my commandment. Not my suggestion. This is my commandment that you love one another, even as what? As I have loved you. Now, how did Christ love us? Without reservation. He gave up his life for us. Now, the, the, if you want to have a commitment, if you want to have an organization, if you want to have, you know, this, this camaraderie, let that camaraderie be within the body of Christ if you're a Christian. Now, these are some of those weights and sins that need to be put away. I know this isn't popular preaching, but I don't care. I'm just telling you what I believe and what I believe the Word says. And if you can find something contrary to it, you just bring it to me, and I'll be glad to sit down and talk with you about it. But that's what I believe the Word teaches. There's no place for Christians. And then I said last week that we should be faithful in proclaiming to the lost the fact that Jesus Christ died for their sins. Go ye into all the world. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. To be witnesses, to be witnesses wherever you go, not following signs and wonders, but signs and wonders following you. To where you as a believer, not this pastor, not the officers, not the Sunday school teachers, but you as a believer go out and you lay hands on the sick and you pray for them and you believe that God's going to set them free. Preachers and officers and Sunday school teachers do not have a franchise on the gifts of the Spirit of God. They were given when the Holy Spirit came upon people to receive not just understanding but power. And I believe with all my heart, if the world would see more of the power of God in the life of the believers, there would be more people who are unsaved who would want to get saved. They don't see any difference. And that's where it's going to be. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, we've talked about faithfulness, <clears throat> and we said that faithfulness is loyalty and constancy and steadfastness in your devotion to a loved one or a purpose. Well, if that's faithfulness, then what is unfaithfulness? If that's faithfulness, then I would say unfaithfulness is a vacillation and undependability and unreliability in one's devotion to a love for love, another loved one or purpose. 
to where you can never be counted on or depended upon. That's unfaithfulness. There's much to be said in the Word of God concerning, of, uh, concerning unfaithfulness, but let's, let's just see what some of the re end results are of unfaithfulness. You know, the Scripture says that, that all of this Word is not written to us, but it's written for our admonition. It's nice to talk about what God says about faithfulness, but what does He say and what does He teach concerning unfaithfulness? If you'll turn with me to Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, I want to show you, first of all, what happens to nations who are warned and instructed concerning faithfulness, and then they become unfaithful. Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, beginning with the 20th verse. Moses had just given the Ten Commandments in the sixth chapter. And in the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, after giving the Ten Commandments, he begins to give some statutes to the nation of Israel. Now, let me go back and say that Israel, God says over in the major prophets that God found Israel when it was like a newborn baby that had been cast off without having the umbilical cord tied or the blood washed off of it. That's the way he describes them. Lying over under a bush in the dirt, just an off-scouring, worthless, uh, absolutely unimportant uh, person. Now, that's why he says, now, when I came to you, this is what I found, like a discarded baby thrown in the trash. You hadn't even been washed off yet. But I picked you up, and I loved you, and I cared for you, and I brought you along. That was his relationship to Israel. Now, let me begin. I'm going to read quite a ways, so get ready for it. We're going to read all the way through the rest of the 6th and the 7th chapter over to the 8th chapter. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondsmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt and upon Pharaoh and upon all his household before our eyes, and he brought us out from thence. That's a comma now. That's not a period. It goes on to explain why he brought us out from thence, that he might, what? Bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for, all, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. Now, note that 24th verse again. First of all, let me say that he's saying to the parents, Parents, I want you to be able to instruct by principle and precept your children, to, to let them know why you are where you are and why you do what you do and why you live the way you do different from the rest of the nations, why you walk differently from the rest of the nations, why you are separate from the rest of the nations. I want you to be able to explain it to them and let them know that it isn't to punish them. Look at verse 24 again. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our what? He did it for our good. Don't think God's punishing us because he doesn't let us go off and live like hell's frozen over like the rest of those nations because we're a peculiar people. Recognize that these laws and commandments were established for our good, boys and girls, young people, children. I want you to understand. Grandchildren, I want you to understand why God did this. You see, the position of the parents is to walk in precept and in principle before our children. And when they ask us questions, it doesn't mean we sit down and give them a three-hour Bible study and theological course, but rather we just simply say we do this, and we do this because God told us to do it, and if we do it, He'd bless us, and it's for our good. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments 
before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. In other words, it'll be blessings toward us. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Gergesites, and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou, and when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Did it sound like those who were to follow the Lord were going to be victorious or defeated? Can't you imagine some of those standing back and saying, you know, some good evangelical brethren in the crowd of Israel saying, uh, well, look, we haven't got any authority to go in that land. What right do we have to go over there? We should just stay right where we are. We can't have, when we get to heaven, we're going to have victory over them, but we're not going to have victory over them now. Let me tell you something, all these tribes and all these nations are in our lives too. And the Lord says, if we can believe him for it, he'll drive them out. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them, thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son, for they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. I can't find any place in the scriptures that condones, ever condones, any parent ever condoning a child of theirs to marry an unbeliever. It is totally non-scriptural. Well, he's a good boy, though, Pastor Webb, or she's a good girl, Pastor Webb. She goes to such and such a situation, but, well, is she born again? Well, they're, they're good people. They come from a good background. I don't care where they come from. If they're not saved, they're lost. If they're not saved, they're lost. Do you hear me? Don't be unequally yoked. He says, don't give your daughters or your sons. Now, by the way, back in that day, they did it in a better way. The father would give the daughter, I mean, say, here, let's, let's work this out. And the daughter would not get married to a fellow until the father agreed. That's a good thing to work out with your daughters, fathers. Hello. It is. I can't get on that. I wouldn't, Ed, I'd never get done if I got on that today. Praise God. Verse 5. But thus, thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. You know, they didn't really get into the ecumenicity back in then, that day, you know. Ecumenism didn't really flourish in the days of the nation of Israel. God says when you go in, don't have anything to do with their religion, destroy it, wipe it out, have nothing to do with it. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God, thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. Isn't it strange how the Lord always wants to get the littlest group and make them mighty? Gideon's army and so forth. And, but because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondsmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the what? Faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Do you want stability in your family in the days ahead and the generations to come? Obey the commandments of God and it will be established for a thousand generations, he said. And repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. Now let me tell you something. Some people may think to get away with something with God. 
Well, look, I've done it this long and nothing's happened. Oh, understand. God said, I am faithful. If I promise that if you're obedient, I'll bless you. I promise you if you're disobedient, I'll smite you. You say, now how can that be a loving God? Let me tell you something. If you're a loving parent, if your children are obedient, you bless them. And if they aren't obedient, you, you chasten them or you don't love them. That's scriptural. I'll say it again. No one loves a brat. Deal with them at home. If you have to go places and say, oh, I'm sorry my child is acting like I don't understand what's wrong with him. Don't have to explain it. You haven't taught them at home not to do it at home. If they don't do it at home, then they might try to pull on the rope when they're outside, but you tell them right where the end of the rope is, and you don't have to worry about it. Now, that's just what God's talking about here. You do what I ask you to do, I'll bless you. Don't do what I ask you to do, look out. I promise you, I'm faithful, I won't lie to you, I will punish you. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments, verse 11, and the statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them. Wherefore it shall come to pass, if ye hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he sware unto the, thy fathers. And he will love thee and bless thee, if you keep the commandments, and bless thee and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of thy womb and the fruit of thy land, thy corn and thy wine and thine oil, the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep in the land which he swear unto the fa thy fathers to give thee. Thou shalt be blessed above all the people. There shall not be a male or female barren among you nor or among your cattle. And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. Does the Lord make a difference between people? Brother Chuck, is this thing on? Is the air conditioning on? It's getting a little stuffy up here for me. Can you check that? Thank you. Verse 16, And thou shalt consume all the people which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee, Thine eye shall have no pity upon them, neither shalt thou serve their gods, for that will be a snare unto thee. If thou shalt say in thine heart, These nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? Thou shalt not be afraid of them, but shalt well remember what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and unto all Egypt. Now he says, I'm given what I did to Pharaoh as an example to you of what I will do to those that come against you. Now let me ask you something. Those of you that have been Christians for a while, if you come up against a hard situation and you come into fear and begin to worry about something working out, have you ever been able to go back and begin to remember? Now, I remember how bad it was there. I remember how bad it was there. But do you know what? The Lord brought me through it. That's what he told the children of Israel. Just remember, I, I did that for you. And if I did that, I'm going to continue to do it if you're obedient to me. I'll bless you. It may not look like you're being blessed, but don't look at the circumstances. Look at me. And I'll deliver you out of all your troubles. Verse 19, And the great temptations which thine eyes saw, and the signs and wonders, and the mighty hand, and the stretched out arm whereby the Lord thy God brought thee out, so shall the Lord thy God do unto all the people of whom thou art afraid. Moreover, the Lord thy God will send the hornet among them until they, are, they that are left and hide themselves from thee be destroyed. You know, that's, that's kind of a scary thing. To know that when God be against you, you're in trouble. If God be for you, who can be against you? He says, now when I send you out against them, if they think they're going to hide, I'll send some hornets down in the holes. I'll get them out of the holes and they'll come out and expose themselves and you'll be able to totally destroy them. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to fight someone that can talk hornet. God knows the language of hornets. Like I said, he knows the language of fish. And he knows the language of, of, uh, of uh, roosters. 
He knows how to talk to all those things, and if you get in trouble with God, He can talk to all of them. Verse 21, Thou shalt not be affrighted among you, excuse me, not be affrighted at them, for the Lord thy God is among you, a mighty God and terrible. And the Lord thy God will put out those nations before thee by little and little. Thou mayest not consume them at once, lest the beasts of the field increase upon thee. You know, it would be possible to stand here right now and talk to you for a long time about this, but let me just say this. This is one of the greatest difficulties many young Christians have in understanding God's method of working in our lives. Some people get very discouraged because they say, why can't I just be perfect overnight? Well, I've been a Christian for one year or three years or four years or five years, and I just don't seem to be. I see all these things in my life, yet I ought not to be there. Well, if God took them all out at once, you wouldn't know how to act. We've ministered in deliverance to people, and they've told us that it's taken them anywhere from one to two or three weeks before they could really begin to say, who am I now, now that the real person is coming to the front? Who am I? I didn't, know, I didn't even know myself. And if it were all done overnight, you couldn't live it. You couldn't stand it. The Lord says, I will work a work of sanctification in your life, and as you can take it, I will bring these things out of your life. So don't get discouraged. Don't get despondent. Don't give up. Don't say, oh, what's the use? Just believe that God loves you and that God is trying to do a work in your heart. And he'll do it at his pace when you're faithful to him and obedient to him. Verse 23, but the Lord thy God shall deliver them unto thee and shall destroy them with a mighty destruction until they be destroyed. And he shall deliver their kings into thine hand and thou shalt destroy their name from under heaven. There shall no man be able to stand before thee until thou have destroyed them. The graven images of their gods shall ye burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver or gold that is on them, and take it un nor take it unto thee, lest thou be snared therein, for it is an abomination to the Lord thy God. Some of you that remember when Frank and Ida Hammond were here before, they said if you have any uh, idolatrous things from the East or that have to do with the occult, I don't care if they're, if they're pierced earrings or whatever they might be, if they're gold and they have anything like that to do with the occult, don't keep them. Don't even try to sell them. You're further ahead to throw them away because you can become snared, not with the metal, but with that force that is with that metal. Some of you will remember not too long ago they talked about some of the rock, hard rock records that had been pressed and that they would take the, the master record in and have a soothsayer or a medium have a seance over it and call for demonic spirits to that record so that when it would go out, it would be like you'd receive a record like a Cracker Jack's box. There'd be a little gift inside. And that spirit that would be called to go with that record would go into that home and begin to influence those young people. And if you want to see the result of it, you see some of these young people today who have been influenced and literally controlled by demonic forces in the area of hard rock music. And that's what he's saying here. Don't get snared with these things. Get rid of them. Burn them. Get, out, get them out of your family. Get them out of your home. Neither shalt thou bring an abomination into thine house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. But thou shalt utterly detest it, and thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. Verse chapter 8. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the ways which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to what? To humble thee. Why did the Lord take them through all those things? To humble thee. Why does the Lord not let you do what you want to do every time you want to do it? To humble you. And to what? 
prove you, to test you. God, I want to do it this way. God says, I know, but my ways are so far above your ways, and my thoughts so far above your ways. Can you just trust me? This is the end of CD number four in the messages entitled Faithfulness. And please go to CD number five for the remaining portion of the message.